Leadership Works. We have an incredible show with you today. Um, we have on our show Bobby Wells. Bobby is the Vice President at FedEx Express of Air Operations Safety and Airworthiness. We had the privilege of meeting in a very unique way last year. We host the Leadership Works Conference, and Bobby was flying in town from D.C. into Memphis. Tell us a little bit of who you met on that plane. <laughs> Chris, I, I think it's a great story because it's the serendipity that happens, that if you're fortunate enough to pay attention, open your eyes and look around. I boarded the airplane. It was late at night. It was the last direct flight to Memphis. And there was a gentleman already sitting in the seat next to me. So I asked him if he could get up so I could get in. I sat down and we got to visiting. We shared a common interest in the military because I served in the Army. And he was telling me how he tried over and over and over again to be accepted to the various services. But for whatever reason, he was underage for one thing. But then he had some uh, flat feet or some sort of medical thing that occurred back then and that nobody would accept him. So he decided to go to college and ended up becoming a professor, taught school for a number of years. And then he told me that he and his wife co-wrote a little book. So I asked him, what book would that be? Wondering, you know, what little book he might have written. And it turned out, he said, well, we wrote The One Minute Manager. So I got to spend two and a half hours sitting next to, I was a captive audience with Ken Blanchard, and he was one of the most genuine, kind, thoughtful, and inspirational people I have ever met. Ken is truly a living legend in the world of leadership. One point in time, I know he is one of the top 25 selling authors of all time for Amazon. So when it comes to leadership, you really were sitting next to someone who not only has taught it, but knowing him on a personal level has lived it in a remarkable way. So we are grateful that that encounter led us to begin this process of building a friendship with you and just excited about, by the way, I want to tell our audience, we've got our upcoming Leadership Works Conference. It's coming Friday, November 3rd. What we'll have is Dr. Tim Irwin will be one of the speakers, but also one of your colleagues, Shannon Brown, who's the Executive Vice President of Human Resources at FedEx Express, will be speaking. So we're honored to have him. Dr. Bernice A. King, that is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter. She's the CEO of the King Center. She'll speak as well, and then it'll follow up with John O'Leary. So for all of you out there, you can go to leadershipworksconference.org to learn more about that. Go ahead and register. But today, what we want to do is we want to talk some leadership. So as you are the Vice President of Air Operations and Airworthiness, and you've been at FedEx for almost 25 years, all right? So that's where you are today, but you didn't start there. No. So would you give our audience a little bit of just kind of your personal background, maybe where you grew up, and just a little bit of the journey? Be happy to. I grew up actually in a tiny little town in Wyoming. It's up in the mountains south of Jackson Hole called Pinedale, Wyoming. When I grew up there, it was about 1,000 people. It's about doubled in size, so it's, it's, size, it's a huge metropolis now. <laughs> it's a wonderful community in that the schools are very well funded. Children can sign up to do any number of things growing up because there aren't a lot of people in Wyoming and there's a lot of tax revenue, which is a good thing. There's this huge opportunity to spend time in the outdoors as well, which was for me a huge blessing, a huge opportunity to experience nature and have an appreciation for the environment that I had a chance to live in. My dad was very athletic okay. and he skied, did all kinds of skiing. He was a water skier. He cross-country skied, downhill skied. One of the biggest lessons I learned from him was around downhill skiing. He was on the ski patrol, so every weekend we'd pack up the car with four kids in our family, and we'd go to the ski hill so that he could teach kids to ski, and he could pick up people who had gotten hurt and get them down safely off the hill. 
And he taught all of us to ski. Well, I was probably in my early teens, 12 or 13, and and he came to me one time and said, you know, if you pushed yourself harder, if you really worked on your skills, you could be an excellent skier. You could be an expert skier. And I said, well, you know what, Dad? I can make it down the hill fine. I can ski with my friends. I'm pretty good where I'm at. And he said, don't you want to be better? And I said, well, really what I don't want to do is fall down. Because if you've skied, falling down isn't a lot of fun. It's hard to get up. The snow makes it cumbersome. Sometimes you lose your skis and they go on down the hill ahead of you. And it's pretty unpleasant. So I said, I'd really rather not fall down. And he said, you know, Bobby, if you're not falling down, you're not learning. Wow. It was a great lesson because what it opened up for me was that I had to be willing to fall down. I had to be willing to try things I didn't already know. And it needed to be okay that sometimes I wasn't going to be great. He had a perspective that was what I like to think of as a practicing mind. He would identify something he would want to work on, and then he'd work on it until he became very skilled at it. I think that's a good lesson for all of us. And that allowed me to be willing to try things I'd never done before. I went to school in Indiana. I went to the University of Notre Dame. And when I went there, my parents put me on the train and I took myself on the train and arrived in a completely different place. It was it was a tough thing to do. But It was aligned with my goals. I wanted to be at a good school that had a good football program. I played and wanted to play in the band. So I think where you come from and your willingness to be open to opportunity, your willingness to fall down is what makes you develop into the person that you're willing to become through your whole life. Right. And so every leader is going to make mistakes along the way. There's no such thing as a perfect leader. Really great leaders are risk takers. Your dad laid the foundation of making it okay to fall down, but really you're defined as a leader by how many times you get back up, right? That's exactly right. Take us to that next progression. So you get through college. What's the next step? Is this kind of foundations being built for the leader that you're becoming? Now you've been at FedEx for 25 years as one of their vice presidents. I mean, that's a pretty incredible opportunity and response but that leadership was being built through this process. So what's the next step in the process? Well, as I said, I joined the Army out of college, and I I spent 10 years in the Army. The reason I chose the Army is because, again, I'm from this tiny town in Wyoming. I didn't think that corporations, my perception of corporations were they wouldn't necessarily have high integrity and they wouldn't be focused on taking care of their people, which I knew the Army, that's what the Army Mm. cared about. And I wanted to be part of an organization that had the same values that I had of higher integrity and taking care of people. I love the Army. It was an incredible opportunity. It was extraordinary on so many levels. And over and again, I had to do things I was really uncomfortable doing, but nobody gives you a choice. They don't say, hey, if you don't feel like participating today, you can sit off underneath the tree and we'll go do what we're going to go do. You stand up and you do it along with everyone else. So the Army pushed me to do stuff I would have never chosen to do if I'd been given the choice. But it also set me up to understand that with leadership, with that privilege of leadership comes an obligation. My first company commander said to me, leaders don't walk by mistakes, because if you walk by a mistake, you endorse it. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is an important message for everyone, because if you walk by that mistake, not only is it if it's okay with you that that mistake happened, but it's almost as though you created that mistake yourself. If there's an opportunity for you to fix something, then you have an obligation to fix it. And you should feel not only the responsibility, but feel like that's a way you can make a difference in the world. I love that. Okay. You said leaders, they don't walk by a mistake. If they do, they endorse it. Mm -hmm. Is that accurate? That's correct. That is an incredible principle. You know, as someone who's a founder of an organization, one of the things that I notice is I still kind of carry that, like, I can't walk by trash. I can't walk by something that's just out of place. You know, like I have 
to repair it. I have to fix it. And I always kind of watch as other people come along later in the organization, is that culture being maintained? What are some things maybe that you've learned along the way that not only do you embody that attitude and that privilege as a leader, but you make sure that that also is carried through your leadership to others so that that's a part of the culture? Well, I I think the reality of it is culture is based on employees' decisions. Employees make decisions every single day. And we think as leaders that we're able to affect this space that occurs between from where an employee makes a decision to where they take an action. So we think by simply giving employees good reasons and understanding their world and through logic and that sort of thing that we can influence them. Well, the reality of it is employees are going to make those decisions because we're not watching over their shoulders all the time. There's a perspective that says part of what we have to do is we have to show them, first of all, that we care and then get them to care about the things that we want them to care about. And they're going to naturally make a choice in the right direction. 99 percent, 98, 99 percent of employees who come to work every day come to work with the intention of doing a really good job. They want to make a difference in the world as well. And we have to be, as leaders, we have to be willing to look beyond what we see in terms of judgments or perceptions or assumptions that we make about employees to see what the real intent is behind it. When an employee makes a mistake, it's not because they intended to screw something up. It's because they made a mistake. Human beings make mistakes every day. I do. So the person who has the most information about that mistake that we have an opportunity to learn from is that employee. They're a treasure to us. And I think the way that we can not only build a culture, but we can get employees to understand how much we care about them in such a way that they'll want to come work for us and stay. And when I listen to you in that regard, what kind of comes to my mind is that care is more caught than it is taught. It is. And so when you embody that care and they see that in you, the Actually, it's just kind of contagious. Yes. So as you were in the Army, right, for 10 years, mm-hmm. what were some of the strengths that you discovered about yourself? Mm-hmm. You know, during that time period, how did you learn that, wow, this is where my real strengths lie? And how did those begin to be developed for you to be in the position that you are today? I think what I discovered in the Army was a couple of things. One is that it was okay to care about people. There's this perception that leaders simply tell people what to do. They set the direction. They set the vision. They put people on the path and off they go. But leadership is so much about that caring. It's about the passion for the people. It's about passion for the job and the objectives. What I discovered was that if you showed people that you cared about them and you gave them what they needed and you showed that you could you would support them in their endeavors, that they could achieve anything. It's extraordinary what people can achieve. I saw that in my soldiers. I've seen that throughout my career at FedEx. The employees who feel like you have their backs and that they matter to you, they're going to go out and do extraordinary things. So for me, that exposure to that element of caring was critically important because nobody really stands up and says, at least I didn't hear it early in my career, it's okay to be passionate about your people. It's okay to care deeply about your people. It's okay to love your people because that love transcends the kind of everyday things that you're confronted with, the obstacles that come in your way. And then the second element, I think, is this element of vulnerability. Leaders are not people who do everything right and are perfect. Leaders are imperfect, as you said. We make mistakes. And we have to be willing to show those vulnerabilities. That ability to show the bit of fragility we all have and then be able to transcend it makes you even more powerful. I was speaking last week at the Jim Blanchard Leadership Forum. And I had the privilege of hearing General Eric Wesley speak. 
One of the things that he talked about, and the reason I'm bringing this up is you were talking about the importance of care and then how that ability to care for someone also kind of translates into believing that they're capable of extraordinary things. And he said that with his soldiers, that he looks at his soldiers and he says, you are my opus. You are my life work. And it was just such a powerful thing to see this man who's a general and he's in his uniform and he's decorated. and, And you think about all the responsibility, but his greatest responsibility is for those men under him and those women under him. And for him to say, you are my life work to believe in someone is the beginning of extraordinary. Yes, it is. And, and I think the other part of it is, is that Unlike what it appears with a general, he's in charge of around 30,000 people, a huge number of soldiers, tremendous number of soldiers. And we recognize that somebody at that level who's that powerful of a leader is making a difference to nearly all of those people in a very transcending way. But the reality of it is, is that I think our endeavor, our work should be to make a difference to just one every Mm -hmm. day. If that's what our objective is, then we're going to far outreach that. If we try to set ourselves up to make a difference to all 100 people sitting in the audience, then that can seem very overwhelming. It's a tough journey, especially for young leaders, because they think there's no possible way I could ever be in charge of 30,000 soldiers or talk to 100 people in a forum. The reality of it is they can. And the reason they can is because in that 100 people in the audience, you're talking to only one person at a time. Hmm. And if you can make a difference to that one person, then you've achieved your objective. My husband told me that a long time ago when I was afraid to get up and speak in front of people. And he said to me, if you can just make a difference to one person, isn't that really what matters to you? That's sustained me ever since. Mm -hmm. So as you make the transition from military into the corporate world, talk to us a little bit about you might have had some perceptions of what it meant to be in the corporate world, and Mm -hmm. some of them might have been accurate and some of them might have been inaccurate. What worked and didn't work for you as you made that transition from the military into the corporate world at FedEx? One of the biggest difficulties, and we see this with military people transitioning now, is I thought that people would just take me for what I was or who I was, and they would learn about me and discover me the same way I would be discovering them. But because I had served in the Army, there was this perception that preceded me, Hmm. that I was a leader who would tell people what to do rather than have a conversation about what to do. That's wildly inaccurate. It was inaccurate 25 years ago when I left the Army. It's even less accurate today. That's not the way military leaders get the job done. Now, during war, obviously, Mm -hmm. or during Mm -hmm. things where there's high intensity or conflict involved, then obviously they're going to be directing people. But by and large, leaders in the military are leaders just like in business. They have a different objective and they different procedures and terminologies and things like that. So the transition to the civilian world, I think, was difficult on a number of levels, but the basics were all the same. Soldiers were like my couriers in when I started in downtown Manhattan working for FedEx. They just cared about doing the job. They just wanted to make a difference to the people they saw as their customers. So that wasn't any different. And I think the strength of leadership wasn't any different. What I had to realize over the short term and what I've had to be protective about over the longer term is a recognition that people may make assumptions about me because of their perceptions or because of what they've heard of other people. And I have to be willing to go the extra mile to try to work past that because I can't expect them to be willing to do that if I'm hoping to be able to touch and reach those people. It's incumbent on me. So whether it's rank in the military or whether it's position or title in the corporate world, you do have to work to overcome people's assumptions, like you say, that are associated with that and let them just see you as the leader that you are and the way that you can care for them. Yes. 
So tell us in this incredible career that you've had in leadership, as you look at leaders, and obviously as a leader, you're a student of leaders, what differentiates a good leader from a great leader? What are some of those qualities? The first quality is selflessness. I saw that when I talked to Ken Blanchard in spades. His whole objective is just to leave the world a better place than he found it. That selflessness is what carries through that purposefulness around making a difference to people is critical. And it is what absolutely sets apart good leaders or sufficient leaders from great leaders. The second thing is this perspective of learning. You have to be a student of leadership, as you said. You should be working on yourself 100% of the time. If you're not reading a book, either a business book or some sort of thought leadership book, anything you can get your hands on that helps expand your mind, it doesn't matter how smart you are. And by the way, everybody at the table is smart. So it's now how are you going to differentiate yourself? And you have to do that by understanding the knowledge and the work and the research that other people have done. It can be inspirational. And the interesting thing is that when you're doing that kind of work of learning, you can find things that you would not think apply to your job at all or the work that you're doing at all. But there's always connections and things. Those connections are critically important. Then the last thing I'd really probably talk about is this issue of purpose and higher purpose. And by that, I mean that we have to be the higher you go in an organization or the bigger your responsibilities become, the less defensive you can be, the less territorial you can be. You must be willing to be collaborative and to solve things. There are very few things in this world. In fact, I'd probably venture to say there's almost nothing in this world that is a zero sum proposition or should be. Everything should be able to be negotiated. And that negotiation not only allows the person who's sitting across the table from you to also win with you, but it chances are you're going to learn a lot more than if you simply insist on getting your way. So as an executive level leader, when you are working with or looking at emerging leaders, almost every emerging leader has it in their mind that they would like to become an executive level leader. What would you say about the importance of the process? So if you're talking to the emerging leader, you know, a lot of times people want the final product without the process. Right. But what would you talk to them about the importance of the process? What do they need to learn about embracing the process? That's a great question because I think there is this it looks easy when you watch somebody who's good at it. It looks, what they're doing looks easy, but they arrived at it by making mistakes, by learning, by trying stuff, finding out it didn't work or trying things and finding out it did. I had a conversation with a young woman a number of months ago who told me she aspired to be an executive leader and she thought that she was ready. She thought her time had come. She hadn't spent a great deal of time in leadership. So I explained to her that what you have to understand when you're in a leadership position is that you hold people's lives in your hands. Now, it's easy to assume that you're holding their lives in your hands toward good. You're going to promote them. You're going to provide them, give them rewards. You're going to give them opportunities. They're going to excel at them and you're going to pat them on the back. But sometimes you're going to have to hold them accountable. Sometimes they're going to err to the level that they're going to, it could put their job at risk. Their livelihood is at risk. And you have to be willing to confront those instances and be willing to do it in a way that is caring and protective of that person. Because regardless of what happens with their job or that project you might take away from their whatever negative action you might take, 
they have to feel at the end of the day that they are still worthwhile, that they can overcome what has happened, the choices that they've made that led them down the wrong path, and they can get themselves back on track and achieve and go beyond that. I would be surprised that any successful leader hasn't had an instance in their life where they were almost fired or failed miserably by their standards or or whatever. Anybody who has really been successful who can't recall those times probably hasn't been trying very hard. So we have to understand that what we experienced when we went through those difficult times, other people are going to have to go through and we have to be willing to look them in the eye and do that. You can only do that through experience. That reminds me, there's a book called Failing Forward by John Maxwell. He just talks about as a leader, it's okay to fail and it's okay for the people under you to fail as long as you learn from your failures. You right. don't fail the same way twice. And, right. and when you learn from it, you fail forward. And yes. I think oftentimes as leaders, when we look at the people who are coming up in the ranks, some of their mistakes, some of the things that happen along the way becomes the organization's greatest investment in that person. Because since they made that mistake and learned from it, they'll probably never make that mistake again. It's a great investment if we just understand that success isn't the absence of mistakes. But really, it's how we choose to respond to those mistakes. That's exactly right. And, and the other part of it is, is that you're either growing or you're shrinking. There is no staying the same. And if when people try to grow and through that growth, they make mistakes, they trip and fall and you slap them on the hand or somehow indicate that that's not appropriate, then they're going to necessarily withdraw. And that does. You're absolutely right. It doesn't strengthen the individual. It doesn't strengthen the organization. Now, this question, it's a little bit of a a nuanced question that maybe I don't think people ask very often, but let's kind of dive into it for a second. What are the common weaknesses found in great leaders? Just because you're a great leader doesn't mean you don't have any weaknesses. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the strengths are so strong that we just see the strengths, but sometimes if a strength is too strong, it can become a weakness. So when you have been a student of leadership and you see that there are great leaders out there, have you noticed, are there any common weaknesses that tend to show up in great leaders? I think you hit on it. There are two things. And the first one you hit on, and that is that our weaknesses are the other end of our strengths, for sure. I'm very direct, and I know I'm direct. It's kind of how I'm hardwired. But if I'm too direct, the problem with it is, is that people can feel like I'm not listening. So I have to soften that. I have to be aware of that. And that's the trick, is you have to understand, if you can understand what your strengths are, then you can probably figure out where your weaknesses will come from if you don't manage it, if you don't control it. The other thing is that the higher you go in positions, the more your weaknesses are going to come from behavior. You're going to do things and no one's going to tell you you're doing those things. You're going to raise your voice in a meeting if you have a tendency to raise your voice and no one's going to say, hey, boss, you're kind of yelling at us Mm -hmm. because the higher you go, the less willing people are to give you feedback. The biggest strength I think any leader can have is they are successful is to do some introspection and be willing when people give you feedback, welcome that feedback, even when it's hurtful. And usually it is going to make you stop and take a breath. But you have to be willing to say, this is an investment in me as well. Somebody was willing to tell me, which not only shows their character and their courage, but it indicates that they think I'm willing to take that feedback, that Mm -hmm. I'm capable of handling that feedback, and that's a gift. Mm -hmm. So if we can approach it that way, then you don't end up being the CEO that takes a company on a path that's inappropriate because nobody's willing to say, hey, boss, I'm not comfortable with what you're doing because they know what happened to the last guy that tried that. 
Yeah, I think about conflict. Most of us are, we want to avoid conflict. But the more that we can normalize conflict Mm -hmm. and just understand that it's a normal part of leadership, then we can have healthy conflict. You know, one of the things I like to teach is that there's safety zone conflict and danger zone. Safety zone is we're just smart people addressing the problem. Danger zone is we begin to attack the person. Yes. And so in that way, you know, if, if someone can praise people in public and then confront people in private, it's a lot easier to then evaluate that developmental feedback so that you can hear it, you can process it, and then you can begin to respond appropriately to it. As you have gone through your career, I would be very interested to just hear you talk a little bit about maybe how your definition of success has evolved through the years. Oh, that's a great question. The normal definition of success, I think in early leaders' careers are all about what are you gonna achieve? What rank are you going to get to? What promotion are you going to secure? What award are you going to have to hang on your wall? Over time, though, what I've watched happen in organizations and with leaders is, and this is what I tell young leaders who come to see me, and sometimes they're coming to figure out what's the magic formula, the three-step process where I can get promoted. And of course, there's no such thing. There's no easy way to get promoted promotion happens or doesn't happen. Some of it's luck, some of it's the right time, the right place. Always it's going to be based on really hard work. But the reality of it is, is that leadership is about being in a position so that when you retire, you leave your organization, people were glad they knew you. They felt like you made a difference and they're sorry to see you go. The worst possible thing is to be one of the highest ranking people in an organization that when your retirement is announced that people are silently cheering because it doesn't really matter what you accumulate. It doesn't really matter what your plaque on your desk says about your title or what your business card says or how many, how much money you have in the bank or what you've accumulated for wealth or toys or whatever it might be. What really matters at the end of the day is, did you make a difference in people's lives? Were you able to develop your craft, your leadership craft in such a way that you not only change the course of your organization and the people who were in it, but you set the pathway so that future leaders could continue that evolution. When I hear you say that, it reminds me of kind of one of the guiding principles that our organization leadership works. We say leadership doesn't work when it's about the leader. Mm Mm-hmm. Leadership works when it's about the follower. That's exactly right. So it's just another way that we say exactly what you just painted so beautifully. Well, as we begin to wrap up this podcast, and thank you so much. We're learning so much from you of timeless leadership principles. But maybe this would be a great concluding question for us to end with. What brings you the greatest satisfaction as a leader? My greatest satisfaction as a leader is when... I can watch an individual who comes from an underprivileged background be able to have the wonder in their face Mm. to see that they can actually achieve what they never hoped possible. If I can make a difference to people in such a way that they see that anything is possible in their world, if they're willing to believe in themselves or willing to do the hard work, willing to take the risks and put themselves out there, they can actually achieve anything they set their mind to. This tiny little town in Wyoming, if you'd have seen me in high school, you'd have never guessed that I could work for a company like FedEx in the position that I'm in. That's a journey I believe anyone can take. As I hear you say that, it reminds me of another leadership principle, that leadership isn't a reward, it's a responsibility. 
But the greatest reward is not our portfolio. And you just said it's your greatest reward is the development of other people. Yes. And watching them blossom and grow into their full potential. Yes. And I think that's when you have incredible loyalty as a leader and you have incredible legacy as a leader. And ultimately, that's when leadership works. So thank you so much for being on this podcast and being someone who lives out these principles that proves that leadership works. We are so grateful for who you are, the contributions that you make in our community in the city of Memphis. We're so grateful for FedEx and the difference maker that they are here locally and around the world. Thank you for being who you are individually and part of a company that really embodies these principles. As we look at this, I want to remind everybody in our audience one more time, if you want to learn more about this type of leadership, you can come to the Leadership Works Conference on Friday, November 3rd, and you're going to have an incredible opportunity to hear Dr. Tim Irwin, Shannon Brown, also of FedEx, Dr. Bernice A. King, Dr. King's daughter, and John O'Leary. I promise you it's a no-regret decision. It's a value-driven conference. It's professional development. You bring your team, and everyone will have an incredible experience. So you can go to leadershipworksconference.org to register today. Leadershipworksconference.org. Register today. Please tell a friend about this podcast, and we'll look forward to seeing you next time.